Good morning, Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> good morning. It's Tom Hayes here in Beantown, USA, and we are, oh, I say a day away, one day in between, a little day jump, but we got it back together. Brian and I just spoke, and he's promised to call in <laughs> as of just a couple of minutes ago. This is going to be very exciting, uh, amazing, all of that. I call it pieces of a puzzle that he's assembled, and uh, something that the normal individual is not capable of seeing. Certainly I wasn't, and how he's able to put the uh, sport like boxing and into context into not only a neighborhood and a culture, but also into the bigger backdrop of macroeconomic conditions, um, politics, uh, history, time, uh, whatever, however you want to call it, but it's just fabulous. Uh, if you've got any kind of curiosity of how uh, all of the, the variables in life and society work, then uh, you'll find it extremely fascinating. I'm going to uh, I'm going to give them a little call just to remind them, because you know we get to a <laughs> it's an amazing society that uh, we get so fixated on texting that nobody understands that in, you know, here he is. Here we go. There you go. <clears throat> hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, Mr. Hayes, how are you? <laughs> Great. We, fi- we finally clicked here. Excuse me? You, we finally clicked. Can you, how's the connection? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. All Thanks right, for having great. me on. It's always good talking so to you. So, how are you on this uh, beautiful Thursday? We've had an amazing, absolutely amazing summer. Uh, if you've been doing filming, uh, how could you ask for more perfect conditions? Yeah, no, the, it's been some great. Um, it's been great weather. It's been hot some days, so that can be tough. But I think uh, the, the light, is especially, you know, it's been so it's been so sunny all summer that the light has been really beautiful at certain times around, you know, seven o'clock to get some get some really nice shots. Yeah, and uh, we've been blessed with, uh, at least here on the coast and southie, we get that beautiful sea breeze coming around 7 or 8, so there hasn't even been need for uh, for air conditioning. So, listen, I, I, I loved, I think, in fact, the, the, the fact that we did not connect it was not of waste because uh, it gave me time to read, and we want to refer the people who are listening right now and who may be listening to the archive to also check out the, uh, the the podcast that is not, or archived that was done two days ago because I was able to read a lot from your website and, and how you've uh, changed a, a lot of the uh, emphasis of the film. Yeah, yeah. So there's been definitely a little reorganization of the overall um, arc of the story and the narrative that I'm trying to tell. And I, I think that this, which we're going to talk about today, um, this to me has a much wider range I think um, oh, yeah. and yep. I think rather than like you know looking at the personal and the psychological we, we kind of move to the social and the and the collective you know um, different themes that are interrelated between I mean really you know I'm, I'm interested in, in the death of boxing in America and how boxing died and why it died and I think that you know, this film will will provide insight into that process, which is kind of like a multi-layered um, series of, of forces that happened in America after the Second World War that really decimated uh, 
boxing status as kind of like a cultural institution for urban America. Um, and, you know, where we have it now is kind of like a, I don't really know, it's, it's tough, you know, I mean, when I'm asked about boxing status today, it's, I mean, I don't really know what to say because it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a bizarre set of circumstances that it finds itself in. But I mean, I think ultimately boxing today um, is, is a, is a, you know, once every three month spectacle that is, you know, held in casinos that is, is distributed over pay-per-view for, um, for, you know, kind of like, you know, po- like postmoderns don't use their body, right, the way that people that worked in factories in the 1940s did. So boxing becomes um, first a way for people to connect, at least visually, with that, that historical lineage that we all have, you know what I mean, in terms of our grandparents or great-grandparents working with their hands, working in, in, in labor, that was so interrelated to, to the, the golden age of boxing culture. And then it also, of course, is like this kind of fascination with celebrity that we have where, you know, boxers now, like, for instance, Jack, Jack Dempsey was a boxer who became a celebrity. And really, Floyd Mayweather is a celebrity that boxes. I mean, that's, that's a better way to look at it, I think. So, yeah, so right. now how, how do we get from Dempsey to Mayweather? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. And you have <laughs> well, you, you know, as you talk about this, I have images of being, you know, six or seven years old, growing up in Roxbury, and every Friday night was fight, was fight night, mm-hmm. and you know, there was this little black and white TV, and you know, uh, stadiums were filled around the uh, country, mm-hmm. and there was drama to it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was always a treat to uh, wake up uh, for whatever reason and. Instead of being yelled at to go back to bed, my dad would take me in and sit me down and let me watch. Yeah, and it, it really—it was not only uh, boxing, but it was theater. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because because of the you know the, I mean, it's a stage. I mean, it's a ring, but yet it's a stage, and you know, the drama of uh, two individuals going at each other, you know, with their bodies, and um, and again the the whole you know the, the gestalt, let's say of of the, the size of the arena, and not only the arena, but the fact that so many televisions and people, you know, I think every time we watch a major sporting event, the fact that you know that multitudes of people are focusing on the same thing you are at the same time gives you that kind of gestalt that uh, makes for an amazing experience. So, yeah, you, we've lost that. You know, as as you, you know, in, in the synopsis, we're losing a lot, and I think that's what's so fascinating about your your analysis of all of this. I mean, having been out of college for a lot of years, I haven't read anything so uh, erudite in a long time. I mean, just brilliant writing, Brian. I mean, and the way that you've been able to analyze and perceive your sense of perception is absolutely incredible that you were able to take all of the variables like the factories and the, um, the urban environment and the neighborhoods in the times and mm-hmm. see how all of that came together to create mm-hmm. this 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 product and um, mm-hmm. this this pastime so mm-hmm. i think it's a fa- it's going to be a great film yeah hopefully <laughs> so get some more to do a yeah. couple more interviews but but yeah i mean i think that definitely in terms of boxing um what i i think like the the really key thing to understand about 
boxing's history in America is that its initial success, you could say, or its initial integration with urban culture um, really rested on, and when I, when I say urban culture, that also translated into national culture as well at some point. But, you know, the, the three things that really um, fueled boxing's integration with kind of pre-war American consciousness was uh, immigration, industrialization, and urbanization, right? So America turning itself into a place of cities, right? America turning itself into a place of immigrants, and America turning itself into a place of industry. Um, now, these things were happening long before, let's say, even in the late 1800s, these things were happening, but it just so happened that it took a while for boxing to kind of catch up with it, and by the time the 1920s rolled around, when all three of those um, interrelating vectors or, 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 or patterns that were shaping um, American culture, that's really when boxing kind of... Um, emerged as this kind of um, cultural symbol of urban American life. And um, How, when, it's like, really if you, important, I think, to, yeah. to, to really grasp, though, that the relationship between manual labor, specifically the factory, right? But this could also translate into the trades, into working on the docks. But really the factory is, is, is the really archetypal example um, that relationship between the, the cultural um, currency or significance of boxing, it's, it's place as the... See, this is the thing, too. It's like, you know, boxing before the, the war, when I say the war, I mean World War II, was, was the most popular sport in America, more popular than baseball. It was like boxing and baseball and horse racing. Yep. Yep. Basketball yep. and football and hockey and all this other stuff is, was, was like... You know, I mean, it was, it, you, you can't even compare it. I mean, it's just incomparable. You're right. It's incomparable. Right. And, and I, I think that, that that significance of boxing was directly related to the economy of the time, which was based primarily around a system that rested on production and distribution of goods, right? Now, now of course, our economy is based upon um, information processing and service rendering, right? And, of course, you have, you know, the occasional blue-collar worker, but they're, they're becoming less and less and less and less and less. And but what's even more so, even if there are, let's say, a lot of blue-collar workers, they're, they're distributed. Like, they're kind of, like, scattered in, in places. Like, the factory was a, a space of enclosure where you had, like, a 1,000 people working, right? So it created these, like, kind of collectives, that were located multiple in different cities that really formed the backbone of this kind of interrelationship between boxing culture, uh, urban culture, and the conditions that were part of boxing's growth. So when did the sport the really start to emerge? What's that? When did the sport really start to emerge? I mean, what years, what decades? It's when it really... You know, like Jack Dempsey, the 1920s is when boxing really became. But, but even before that, you know, John L. Sullivan, who actually is from right. Boston, um, I forget what street he. You know, I used. I, I forget what street he grew up on in the South End, but he definitely South End, and he was kind of like definitely a celebrity. But at, at that, boxing was still relegated to kind of like an outlaw sport. Bare knuckle. Right. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It, it really hadn't 
integrated itself fully um, with popular culture, right? And by the time the 1920s rolled around, um, and also the advent of radio and uh, of radio, of course, right? Boxing um, had both the media platform, but also it had the the socioeconomic um, formation or kind of uh, relations that were present for the sport to really become popular. And, mm-hmm. you know, it became a neighborhood sport. It became a, a sport where the Irish guy would fight the Italian guy or, you know what I mean? It's, it's so, right. it, it became so integrated into a culture, into a system that was based upon these kind of really defined lines of, of ethnicity, of work. Of, I mean, you, you think about it. I mean, there, there was a time, right, when people worked nine to five and like the bell rang at nine and you worked and the bell rang yep. at five and like literally, like, you know, not, not yep. figuratively, like the bell literally rang. Right. Yep. And, yep. and neighborhoods were divide, were, were defined um, much more so clearly today by, you know, by, by streets and street corners and, and, you know, what ethnicity you were and what country your grandmother was from. And so this all kind of coalesced into the culture of a neighborhood boxing gym where in the same way the factory bell rang at nine, the bell for the boxing gym would, you know, every three minutes it, w- it would go off. And there was a rhythm that kind of encompassed the, in- the industrial economy that was related to boxing. It was, it was deeply connected. I mean, boxing in and of itself is, you know, de- developing the capacity of the body, becoming proficient with the body, fully realizing the utility of the body. These things were mm-hmm. highly valued at, at, at one point in our economy, right? And now they're not as valued anymore. Now what's valued is, I mean, really how much, I mean, I, I guess you could say now it's valued as your mind much more. But I, I, think you, I think we're even in a worse place than that right now. I think what matters now is how much money you can make, right? I, I don't think like oh, a poet or a, yeah. or a, um, or, or a scientist yeah, has a lot of, you know what I mean? No. So I think that we... The, the, the space and the conditions for a sport like boxing to become the way it was before the war, before the World War II, is totally impossible, right? But what I'm trying to do in this film, I guess, is tell the story of what happened after the war, right? And what happened in that critical period from, let's say, the mid-1960s to the mid-1990s, because that's really the space when boxing was just decimated as a sport in America. I mean, now it's kind of like a joke. It's like, you know, boxing, like, is, it's really has... And, of course, people are trying to bring it back in, in, in some way, but, I mean, they, they really can't um, in any meaningful way. But the period that I'm really interested in is between the 60s and the 90s, because that's really the period when all of the buildup that had happened in the previous 50 years of, like we said, urbanization, immigration, and industrialization, those three things were absolutely fractured from the 60s to the 90s. And one of the casualties of that process of the city breaking down and, you know, everyone fleeing to the suburbs, the ethnic neighborhoods and the defined neighborhoods that were once really part of the city's makeup started to break down, um, and, of course, the factories closed, right? So those three things created a, a, a system in, or, or, or a crisis in boxing that now we're really starting to feel. And, 
And what's really interesting, too, Tom, is that what, what happened, too, is like boxing kind of played a trick in everybody in the sense that in, in the 70s and 80s when you had like these great fighters like Ali and Hagler and Hearns and Duran, like these really, really great fighters, if, if you didn't know what was happening, you would have thought boxing was just this thriving enterprise and it would have gone on forever. But those guys, those great, great fighters, I mean, Duran's probably my favorite fighter of all time. I mean, he's just, I mean, he was just a master. But, uh, and Hearns, too. I love Thomas Hearns as well. But they were masking what was really happening at the root level of boxing. And that was just this kind of slow deterioration of the base, uh, the talent right. base, the knowledge, and right. most importantly, the social and economic conditions that had to be present for a boxing culture to thrive. And they, all those things were just kind of wiped out. And, and now, I mean, the biggest problem in boxing today is that there's nobody to teach people how to do it. Like, it's just, there, there are no competent people out there. You know what I mean? So, whereas when you were a kid in Roxbury, there were probably a shitload of people on your street that could probably teach you oh, how yeah. to throw a left jab if, if they you had. Know, your uncles, all our uncles taught us yeah. how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? And now you'd be hard-pressed in Boston to find 20. I mean, and, and there definitely are some. This isn't to say there, there aren't some. You know what I mean? But you'd be really hard-pressed in Boston to find, you know, 30 people that, that, that know what they're doing in terms of boxing, training people. Yeah, and I, guess, I think, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, so there's still enclaves of it here in South Boston, especially at the L Street Gym. And, you know, there's a but, boxing but club really, there. Though. I mean, there, there, no, there yeah, are. Not, but, not to the ex- Right. Yeah, I mean, right. like, but you, are, you still but, see but them not, out, out on the beach and whatever. But yeah, it's very minimal. Yeah, yeah, it's. But it's, it's, you do see the, it's it's the last it's the <clears throat> it's the the death you know the the death uh, strains of 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 all of that yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, kids. I mean, and the other thing too is like you know, boxing is you. It's so hard to compare it to like you know basketball or something like that. I mean, it's, it's such hard work to develop your right. body into a situation where you can become a professional boxer. I mean, like, the hours and the, and the time it takes to really reorganize the physical and mental system into, into boxing consciousness, for lack of a better word, is such a dramatic and um, arduous process that kids, I mean, it takes time. I mean, kids today don't have time, right? Because time is being altered by the Internet. So time is kind of like this weird thing that we all experience in, in 2014. And, you know, like to, to find a young kid who's willing to do that, especially not to mention the fact putting his, his body, you know, on the, you know, sacrificing his body in addition to investing all that time. I mean, you know, you got to find a, I mean, that, that's not, I mean, kids like that are just—they're just not around anymore, right? Because it's a totally well. You know, let me. Can I read the sainthood of boxing, as you eloquently sure. have written here? <clears throat> the yeah. interior life is essential to the boxer. Sociologist Locke Waquant. How do you say his name? Locke Waquant. Locke Waquant referred to the yeah. quote erasure of any distinction between the physical and the spiritual. End quote. Through its practice manifesting through the intensity of corporeal and mental training, the solitude of roadwork, 
and surrendering to the biological processes of instinct and flow, the pugilist merges his mind-body complex into an instrument of kinetic force. Known for their ascetic rituals, almost rivaling an order of monks, the champion boxer must, quote, let go, end quote, through diet, sexual restraint, and moderated training regimen, and above all, mental and physical clarity. The irony of the sport with its utilization of violence is juxtaposed against the richness of an interior world marked by health and focus that can be accomplished only by the dedicated fighter. And, uh, you know, I mean, first of all, beautifully written. I mean, just, uh, you, you know, you obviously tap a vein when you write. And, um, but there it is. And, you know, my question is, is when the focus before was on Tommy Atardo and now it's changed yep. to you've, you know, you're bringing in the backdrop of the factories and urbanization and immigration and industrialization. And you're setting that as your as your backdrop and focusing on the family and also the, the, the times. And you were, a lot of the emphasis was on spirituality. Is that still part of the, the well, emphasis? Well, I mean, I guess, I guess like that paragraph... And, and the film just refers to this idea, and this is kind of paradoxical in a, in a sense, too, that boxing, there's no question in my mind that, see, boxing's so interesting because ultimately, at the end of the day, two people in a ring punching each other, you, you really can't get more truthful than that, right? It's as honest as you can get, right? Yeah. Yet at the exact same time, boxing and probably rightfully so, has this reputation of being surrounded by, you know, corruption and mafia back in the day. And now it's kind of like promoters and media. And it's, it's surrounded by... So it's, it's this really interesting relationship between truth and lie, boxing, right? You know, integrity right. and image. And you could probably list, a, you know, 30 other dichotomies that kind of illustrate this kind of um, this schism in, in the the makeup of boxing, but even go, going deeper than that, just, you know, as I was referring to kind of like the, the fight itself, um, boxing, maybe not for everybody, but boxing as a discipline has the, has the potential um, to produce um, this miraculous integration, you could say, of, of mind and heart, of soul and body. Now, whether or not boxers have access to the language to describe that, and I imagine a lot of them don't, but right. I think that in their own way, they do describe this, this hyper feeling of, of, of health, this intensity of, of inner freedom, of inner knowledge, of inner competency, right? That is produced through boxing training. Now, whether we call that um, purely a, a um, mastery of the physical or possibly even, you know, delving into some kind of spiritual mind-spirit or, or, or mind-body um, connective force. That's really kind of irrelevant to me. But in any event, boxing as a discipline produces uh, psychological changes in addition to the physical that can be described as integral can be described as unifying, right? Now, what's interesting about that is that for that to happen, 
right, for that to happen, some of the same conditions have to be there in the exact same way it has to happen for a monk. There has to be some order. You have to have, like, for instance, like the monk has, pr- has prayer time at the same time every day. He has a routine that he lives by. So his body can start to kind of get into a rhythm where he starts to open up into whatever it is he opens up into, right? This is very similar to the boxer, right? There has to be some kind of stability and order to his training regimen, to the social situation that he finds himself in, et cetera, et cetera, that aids in the production of this, you know, like I referred to in the writing, excuse me, this kind of state of kinetic flow where things happen in the interior space of the boxer that, you know, equates to some kind of, you know, integral experience. Now, this, this process, right, became really, really hard as those three things, as the fact, you know, in the post-war decades when the factory started to close, so to speak. Because when the factory started to close, it fractured the whole social network of the quote-unquote old neighborhood. And that's when you started to see, let's say in Boston and places like Southie and Roxbury and all these places, the, I mean, crime has always been, been part of cities, right? Always, even in the 1920s and 30s, it was always there. But by the 70s and 80s, it really started to run wild. Whereas before, it was always contained in its, in its little space. By the 70s and 80s, like, there, there was just full-blown social chaos throughout American cities, right? So those conditions that the boxer would have traditionally needed to maintain that type of order kind of went out the window. And that's why in the 20s and 30s, when you had, like, you know, 20 boxers on, on every street corner, by the 70s and 80s, you, you didn't. You had, like, one maybe. You know what I'm saying? Because those conditions that, were, that needed to be present to produce that type of experience for the boxer, both psychologically and socially, really became almost impossible to maintain. So that's kind of what I was alluding to in that paragraph, that, that the, stability of, the stability of the social order that was really present before the Second World War due to the social and economic conditions that were dominating the American economy when those things started to just rip apart, right, after the war, when the factories started to go to China or, you know, or, or even down south or, or, you know, Thailand, whatever, and it left the American city, which had been for the past hundred years this kind of seat of industrial production, when, when, when it was trying to figure out what was next, and of course it, it, it did because now we're in it, right? Now we're in the space of, you know, everyone works in finance or technology or whatever, um, that middle period when the city was kind of dying in order to be reborn where it is right now, which, which I say is really from the 60s to the 90s, that it just, to, to be a boxer in that period was really, really hard. I mean, really, really hard. And in the case of the Otaro brothers, you know, you had these four incredibly talented boxers that all in their own right could have been top flight professionals. They were competing in a sport that was dying, they were living in a neighborhood that was basically, you know, for lack of a better word, dying, right? It was disintegrating. Uh, all the social and cultural institutions in that neighborhood were in full-blown crisis. And then the city itself and the country, right, overall, 
was in this, this rapid kind of um, this change. So all the opportunities, all the potential, all of the order was just so unstable that you have four potential top-flight boxers all having their own personal tragedy that kind of interrelated to the crisis that cities and, and the factory system were entering into. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I, and then to me, the, the majesty of what you're trying to do and the magnitude of what you're trying to do is, is really uh, Herculean in the fact that, you know, again, you're using the backdrop of the socioeconomic uh, conditions at the time, which is, to me, just fascinating as an economist. You know, I, I, I think I never looked at it that way. And, you know, to see all of those vari- variables intertwined in the fact that you're able to identify them and to follow the dynamic as they, you know, as they go through the process. But then to, you know, and then to talk about what what happened in the neighborhoods, but then to come down and humanize it through the Atados, I think is just, um, just you know, as you, as you move from the general to the specific, of course, it just makes the storytelling, you know, that much more magnificent, and that's what you've done. So you get to see all of these variables played out in four individuals. Is you know, you obviously spend a lot of must spend a lot of oh, time yeah, on yeah, the yeah. film. Oh yeah, a lot of time with all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. so, what did you see? So, I mean, there's the you know, there's the nexus of this whole thing. Is what did you see happen to those uh, individuals well, that I mean, like, who know, had they, such promise? I mean, you know, like. One of them became a drug addict. One of them went to jail. One of them was shot seven times. But, I mean, I, I think those – that, of course, that's important, but it's, it's just – my whole thing with this, right, is that these brothers so perfectly represent the death of boxing in America. And, and they, of course, weren't really aware of that until I made, it a, made my own opinion um, to them, and like you know, you could just see when we were sitting down, like the flash bulbs going off on top of their head, of them recognizing kind of their own how their own life story and their path as boxers, um, how they you know this realization that they were fighting in a sport that was dying, they were fighting in a city that was dying, they were they were really going against the grain, right? And you know, I mean, like. You know, back in the 70s, let's say in South Boston, like going to jail really wasn't that big of a deal. Like a lot of people did that. You know what I'm saying? So like, right. so, so like they were just kind of doing what everyone else did. You know what I'm saying? Because it, right. it really was a, a, a crisis that was taking over urban America. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it, it became like kind of like a big Sidney Lumet film in the sense that like everything was breaking down. All of the structures that were in place were dying. The city was kind of crumbling around. And, and boxing, of course, which was the, the archetypal symbol of the old city. I mean, really, boxing is, is kind of like a 57 Chevy at this point. It's kind of like we look back at it with nostalgia because it represents a different time that has kind of this integrity, this kind of, you know, yep, knife exactly. engineering the, and, yep, and kind gone. of takes us back yep. to a feeling of, of a simpler place where... Pure. It was pure. Sense. In spite yeah, of all of pure, its problems, right? it was pure. And, and, and by the time the 70s rolled around and the 80s, you know, the pessimism was in full steam and the 57 Chevy was, was you know, junk in the, in the, um, junk in the right. garage, basically, you know? Right, and, right, right. 
So, and, you know, I think you got to, yeah, right. And you, again, having lived it, I mean, I lived here in in those yeah, years. Yeah, you I lived mean, it. I, I healthy now. But you, you, you would know a lot better than me. But, I mean, from, you know, I've, I've definitely read a lot. And, you know, of course, I mean, you know, this is kind of the narrative that we get, like the stories about how, how it was back in the day. I mean, this is kind of an, in addition to, you know, let's say me reading like 20 books on, urban America and, and, you know, the, the post-war crisis. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just kind of my own, the oral transmission that I've gotten just growing up in Boston and, and like, kind of just knowing what it was like back in the day, you know? Yeah, and again, you, I mean, the the way that you've interpreted this and presented a picture, I mean, even before looking at one piece of film, I mean, other than Tommy working out on the beach, I mean, it's just, um, I think you've got, you know, a classic here in my mind that, you know, will certainly get get a lot of attention and certainly uh, open a lot of eyes, uh, not only uh, for a commercial aspect, hopefully, but certainly from an academic standpoint. I mean, I can see, you know, this film being put into uh, universities, to yeah, especially sociology. Kind of, I mean, I, obviously, I'd love it to be a commercial type thing, but I mean, I think, you know, like the few academic people that I've talked to, I the, the director of the American Studies Department at Boston College, Carla Rotella, like I interviewed him for the film. Um, this guy, Joseph Heathcott, who's a professor of uh, urban history down at the New School in Manhattan. And um, Ronald Formosino, who's the head of the American History Department at University of Kentucky. You know, they were all like super impressed and, and extremely uh, engaged in this story. So, you know, it, it might appeal more to an academic crowd. I mean, I, I'd love for it to appeal commercially as well. But, I mean, it's tough, though. I mean, documentaries are really tough to, especially an independent one like this. I mean, if, if you're being financed by a, a studio. And, you know, this this is, I mean, the way that I want to do it is kind of, I mean, I'm not really in it. At the end of the day, I'm much more in it, to, to be honest, and, and kind of and have integrity in both the aesthetics and, and intellect of it than to kind of, make money because I, I do think ultimately like the story is super important and I think too that boxing I don't know I the more I think about it the more I realize that the death of boxing as a sport can, can tell us a lot more about ourselves as Americans than just the death of boxing I mean it really gives insight into a lot of things that are happening well, that, right that's, now that's your um, you know that's your bailiwick is that you did that with the, the mission project yeah you showed yep. the death of ba- urban basketball. But see, but basketball is not dying. But yes, urban basketball is definitely dying. No question, because right. urban spaces are kind of repositioning themselves in American culture as like these, these ultimate points of privilege, whereas they weren't before. Right. But basketball right. is a sport that's dying. Basketball, because see, basketball is so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hitched to the star of higher education, Right. So as, right. as as long as the NCAA is pulling in $100 million every year for the Final Four, basketball is going to continue to grow, right? Now, whether it becomes sure. a global game, whether the game moves out from inner-city blacktops into more suburban and rural spaces, that's fine. But basketball will continue to grow, whereas boxing is totally dying. Right, so I think with the difference between yeah, but in its place, you know, basketball. I mean, I have to say something. I mean, not as, uh, you know, not as a huge fan of boxing, though. I, 
you know, whenever it got exciting with the Ali years and, you know, uh, Tyson and all of that, it was always fun to, to watch and kind of observe. But, you know, it, it's now, I mean, the extreme stuff seems to, it seems to be shadowed by all of this extreme fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and, and that's another symptom of a, of a culture that's, you know, that, I mean, see, that, that's one of the things, too, about boxing is that boxing, just the, 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 the nature of boxing, the innate nature of boxing does not mix with technology at all in any way, shape, or form. Right. Boxing has a, has a set of rules. It's, it's practice in a defined space, meaning a boxing gym. It has a kind of historical, um, it, it, it has a very deep relation to history, right? And the rules have not changed. Like the rules of boxing are the exactly the same as they are now as they were in the 1920s, right? The rules right. are the same. You may, maybe you don't, you know, look, okay, so you don't fight 50 round fights anymore, but, but basically the rules are exactly the same, right? Right. Now, MMA let's say, is so much more geared to a culture that is, a, is so much more geared to a network culture where individual people have smartphones and everything is mixing and meshing and everything is kind of interconnected. I mean, bo- MMA is like the archetypal postmodern contact sport in the sense that, you know, you have like a Brazilian guy who practices Japanese karate. You know what I'm saying? And he's fighting right. a, a, a street pack from L.A. that practices Taekwondo from China. I mean, it's just... It reflects this kind of global mixture of these different systems and different cultures and this total lack of boundary, right? That's really yep. what MMA does. And also with MMA, like, the rules are porous. Like, things can change really quickly. Like, you know, I don't really follow it, but, I mean, like, you know, they can change the rounds. I mean, things can get changed. Where boxing is just kind of like, it's, it's old school. It's just, it, yep. it is the way it is. It's not going to change. It just, this is how it is, right? So the, it doesn't appeal to the postmodern mind. It, it appeals to the postmodern mind in the sense that it's very nostalgic, and we look at it like, wow, oh, my God, boxing. Where MMA, it has kind of like this contemporary feeling to it where it's more, it's, it's, it's more able to be mixed up with pop culture than boxing. Boxing doesn't really have that that ability to be mixed with pop culture. It doesn't, and, and really, God bless it for that. I mean, I, I think that's one of the great things about exactly. boxing. Exactly. Well, yeah, again, it has this integrity that it's classic. Right. And I mean, I mean first of all... That's, that's non-compromising. Whereas something I mean, like MMA, it, it, it can be compromised way easier on multiple levels, which is well, why... It, it was, it, it, Go ahead. Right, but boxing, boxing, people became legends in boxing. I mean, you just, you know, like you mentioned Dempsey and Johnson and, you know, Duran and, and certainly Ali. Uh, yeah. I mean, these people become, became, they embodied the sport and they became, mm-hmm. you know, monoliths. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were just known around the world because of, uh, as you say, not that I'm sure that there's, there's equivalent kinds of training with these other fighters, um, but you, you know, they, the character as you, you know, so beautifully demonstrate through this, you know, your writing with all of the ingredients to it, the, you know, that endless, you know, skipping rope and punching the bag, which, 
you know, I'm a meditator myself and always was interesting, but if you think about just the rhythm of the bag mm-hmm. hitting that yeah, and that's going that's going to uh, that pattern will you know the, as, as the ears pick that up and as the brain register, it puts it into a rhythm, you know, very probably a delta or a theta level, and you know the, the rope, the constant the rope. I mean, you're right. So it emerged these these people as giants that you don't see. I mean, every week it's a different. Some guy kicking or something, you know. I mean, it's just yeah. you're right. It's 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 it represents the time because it's so out there. It just there's no structure. To what MMA? You're right. It, the yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I mean, there, boxing there is, is all about it's just structure. Not as defined as boxing. There, there is some structure, but it's not as defined as boxing. And it doesn't have like the historical integrity of boxing. It's right. new. It's totally. It's totally digital. In terms of its how it relates to its its fan base, um, it's it's media generated. Where bo- see, boxing was always the transmission of knowledge from person to person, from body to body. Always, like you, right. you could never Google how to box ever. Like, right. Like right. like if like you Google how to box, it's not going to help you. Like right. you have to learn how to box from, from another human being. That right. knowledge has to be transmitted from body to body, from body to body. So it becomes extraordinarily intimate. Like boxing is a, is a, is an, is the, becoming a boxer is the, is is an experience of intimacy and it's an experience of authenticity. If you have, and and, you know, it's kind of ironic because that's not how you would think of a boxer. You think of a boxer as this big tough guy, but actually boxing training is one of the ultimate exercises of intimacy and authenticity oh i can just so, when you see a boxing movie you know you you start to understand the relationship between the trainer and the boxer and how essential oh, yeah. that totally. is you know totally yeah and, yeah because you have to be incredibly vulnerable you have to be incredibly humble you have to be willing to to lose you know i mean i don't care listen i don't care how good of an athlete you are you know what i mean you walk into that boxing gym the first day you're, you're no fucking way man you, you, it doesn't matter if you're an all-American, this, that, or the other thing. You, you're not going to pick a box in the first day. You're going to be you're going to be humbled to your ass. You know. So boxing, you well, have to be willing to really humble yourself as a boxer, and and I and, and I think that's just you know what can be more beautiful than that? You know, is 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 flattening yourself to the ground. Well, yeah, and and as you say, with the the monk, I mean, you have to you have to understand and be a little bit obsequient to the master who is the trainer, mm-hmm. you know, whether yeah. or not he has your physical prowess or not, uh, whether, you know, who could win in a fight doesn't matter. He's the one with the knowledge and the, and he's, yeah. he spent the dues. He's gone through the training. He's gone through yeah. the monkhood, you know? Yeah. He has the secrets. He has the exactly. secrets and he's going to initiate you. Like he's going to initiate you over time. Right. Well, and he's, and exactly. you're only going to be initiated unless you, have the capacity to work hard, if you have the discipline to be willing to transform yourself and recreate yourself, reconstruct yourself in the image of a fighter, right? Which exactly. is the, the willingness to, you know, sublimate all these other desires into yep. this kind yep. of this synthesis of what Quan called the box is a creative punching machine. 
So I, I, I always love that, that phrase. And, and, and Lovico Quant, in case you didn't know, he wrote a book called Body and Soul. He was, a sociolog- he was, a, he was training as a sociologist uh, at University of Chicago. He was a French guy. And he came there in the late, in the mid-1980s to write about, basically, you know, to write about, um, um, I forget exactly what his topic was on. It has something you, you to know, do Brian, with... we're going to lose this. I don't want to have us cut off with, but we're going to lose oh, this in okay. about 30 seconds. But okay, fascinating. Yeah. When, when, can, when, do, when do we, can, can we see the film? It's not going to be done until early next year, but... Definitely some Okay, well, let's, let's have another one of these because this is just the beginning of, I think, of a great continuance of this fantastic dialogue. Okay, man, Tom. Great to talk to you, man. Thanks, Brian. I, it's, Hi, it's, again, fascinating, fascinating approach to this, and I think it's going to be a, a, a landmark uh, film. So thank you so <laughs> much. So. All, All right, right man, thanks. Bye-bye.